psalmist opens the psalm we're going to read today. And a good opening is really important. Good morning again. You know, I have done a lot of substitute preaching, not just here at other churches, and there's always this moment that you have to do the setup. Whether I'm at a pulpit, or whether I'm at a lectern, or whether I've got a little something to hold my notes and hold my coffee cup, there's always this awkwardness that comes with the setup. And part of that's because a good opening is important. And the psalmist today talks about this great opening. He starts with this opening that says, I lift my eyes up to the hills. And that's so important because that just draws you right in. You see, this opening draws you in. This opening is when those of you out there that are wondering whether or not you're going to pay attention to me decide to pay attention to me. And so he goes in here and he starts this opening with, I lift my eyes up to the Lord, and you're thinking, this is great, or to the hills, this is great, I've got an action already. And the next thing you expect is supposed to be like, and I watch the beautiful dawn, or I watch the beautiful sunset, or I watch the wagons disappear on the horizon. But that's not how he finishes. He immediately goes into a question. From where does my help come? And all of a sudden, that becomes the focus of the entire psalm. The next seven verses are about where your help comes. Why don't we pray before we get into God's Word? Okay, the weight of a Bible is about the max of that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come together today, uh, we've finished sort of that worship time already, and we move into the listening time. We move into the time when, when your word is, is spoken through, through the book that you've gave us, through this mouthpiece that you've provided today. And Lord, as, as the Spirit comes into this section of the service, we ask that you would just calm our hearts. Shut down all that craziness that we see every single day in our lives and let us focus on you in listening. Lord, as I am here, I am not worthy to, to, to be your messenger, but for some reason you've given me that blessing. Keep me in the shadow of the cross and don't hold what is my failures against me, against those here. We're going to open your word, enlighten us. Touch our hearts and show us Christ in everything we do. Amen. We're in the summer of Psalms. We're up to 121st Psalm. It is a song of ascents. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out 
and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. So it is a psalm of ascents. What in the world does that mean? There's this little group of psalms right in the middle of this, well, the beginning, actually, of this last section of psalms that are called the Psalms of Ascent or the Songs of Ascents. Now, they're really short. There's 15 of them, number 120 through 134. They are 99 verses in total. That's 6.6 verses per psalm. Five of them are less than five, or five or less verses long. Eight of them are between six and nine verses. Psalm 132 is the longest. It's a whopping 18 verses. These psalms of ascent were to be recited, preached, sung on your way to worship. So this word ascent literally in Hebrew is lama'alot. Uh, which means literally to, uh, to walk up. So you might be going up a mountain path or up a hill or upstairs. Figuratively, however, it also means to, pro- to progress through. So you're progressing through the 15 Psalms of Ascent. What you did if you were a good Jew in those days was try to make it to the temple as often as possible, but at least once a year. And as you were traveling to the temple, you would recite these psalms. If you lived in the area of Jerusalem, there would be a priest that would go along the way and he would kind of start the psalms for you and you would recite them. If you were a pilgrim walking to Israel or walking to Jerusalem, you might walk a day or two or three And if you maybe came as a church community, you might have a Levite, uh, your local rabbi, who would kind of start this and do this with you a few times a day. If you were traveling in a large family group, the elder of your family would start the process. If you were traveling just as an individual, you would pray these as you were going. Because you were praying yourself, getting ready for worship. And this is important because this is how you really, last week we talked about how there's this God of compassion that you can't help but worship, but this is that preparation for getting to that point. These Psalms are are really all about the power that God has had in the history of Israel and the history of people's lives and really getting you there to where you're understanding why you're going to worship. And this is just one of them. They're actually not that hard to memorize. It's only 99 verses, and everybody would have them memorized. This is a culture that memorized everything. There was no printing back then, so all the cultures memorized things. And if you look at them, it's so easy. When you have these, when you have, you know, most of them are under nine verses, that's kind of easy, right? Those are kind of maybe cute, easier to remember. They're a song that's catchy, maybe. It's sort of like a Hall & Oates song. Right? Kitschy, catchy, nothing too big in it to remember, right? So that's what that was. Maybe if you, if it's, if, if you need something more modern, it's a Toby Keith song. It's not the red solo cup of the Bible, but it's catchy. This bigger one, you could equate this to more of a, 
of a, of, of a, it's a rock ballad. It's a journey rock ballad. And the good thing about the journey rock ballad is, is I don't have to memorize that one because my wife knows all the words. <laughs> but this is what people did with these songs. They used them, they prepared for them. They were always ready at their hearts. So today's author takes just, we're taking just one of these from the psalmist out to talk about it. And it's such a great one because he starts with this question and he moves then into that statement. So you are, a, there, there's a couple really neat things about, about what we're moving into this Psalm 121 is because the first is you'll notice that the first two verses are first person. I look to the hills. From where does my help come? And then in the last verses, it turns to third person. It says, you and yours. This is really, really important. Because what has happened at this point is you become, as the reader, the speaker of those first words. And a couple different meanings can come out of those first two verses. And really, it's, they're both accurate. It's just kind of where you're at in your life. If you look at that first verse that, that says, my, I, I lift my eyes to the hills from where does my help come? In the olden days, gods were very regional. And so Israel had trouble with all the gods of the people that were around them. They would often fall into worshiping these gods around them. And all of the gods lived and were worshiped on high places, into the hills. The closest thing we can think about is the, god, the Greek gods on Mount Olympus. This was before that, but right, we, that's something we understand is the Greek gods were on Manolipus. They were on the high place. So you're sitting there and you lift your eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? You're perhaps looking at these hills, looking at these other gods going, can they help me? I'm looking for help from anything and I'll look at the hills if I can to get help from them. Now, there's another way to look at that too. If you are that pilgrim that has been on a one or two or three day journey, imagine the excitement of seeing Jerusalem as you get in view and seeing that the temple is on the highest spot in Jerusalem. And you can say, oh, I'm looking at the hill. From where does my help come? It's this excitement and growing and building. And we all have those different types of like that in our life, right? Where we're wondering where it's coming from and then we know where it's coming from. And that's where that second verse is so cool because it says, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. If you are that pilgrim walking in, that's sort of that statement of faith, that, that apostle's creed that you say that says, I know where my help is coming from. It's coming from the maker of heaven and earth. And I'm accepting his, his omnipotence in everything in my life. He is so wonderful and so blessing and all these things. And if you're that person who's looking for the help in the hills, it's also a statement of faith. Because this time it's a statement of faith saying, I know where my help comes from. And I reject everything that is false. Everything that tells me I should want something else, I reject that because my God is the God who made the heaven and the earth. They can have their high places of worship in the mountains because my God made those mountains. My God made that sky. My God is control of everything. That is the power that is just in those first two verses. Just two verses. And then it shifts. 
It goes from us making this statement of faith in our God, and it turns to the psalmist saying, you're right. You got it right. You are on the right path. You know what path it's on. And the path you're on is a path that has a foot that is so solid of a foundation, it cannot be moved. That is a strong foundation. And we're very familiar with foundations like that. Last week we talked about how King David wrote the psalm he wrote talking about how you can't help but worship this God that is full of compassion at his core. Now we're going to read again about David and the solid footing that he had with God. This time we're going to be in 1 Samuel and it's going to be really, really early David. King Saul and his armies are out on the plain and they're standing against the armies of the Philistines. And every day Goliath comes out and he says, who will fight me? And Goliath is a giant, right? Depending on where you read, he's anything from seven foot to nine foot tall. And measurements were weird back then, right? Personally, I'm going with seven foot tall. The average guy was five five, so seven foot is a giant. But not just that, it talks about his the weight of his helmet, the weight of his armor, the weight of the spear, the weight of his javelin. It talks about the weight he's carrying. He is a giant man who is in great condition, who can carry this weight, and he's trained to use it. We're told that he carries a javelin, a spear, a sword, and a shield. Goliath is special forces. If you're the average soldier, maybe you knew how to use a spear, maybe you used how to use a sword, but you didn't carry all those weapons. Goliath carries them all because he knows how to use every one of them. And he's out there and he's mocking the Israelites because no one will fight him. So here comes this little shepherd boy who's been sent to the front lines to bring his brothers some supplies. And he can't believe that nobody will fight this guy. He's like, what are you, he's, he's mocking our God. And he starts asking the guys, aren't you going to fight him? Aren't you going to fight him? And finally his questioning gets to King Saul and he goes before King Saul and King Saul says, well, nobody can fight him. He's too big. And he says, oh, I can fight him. He says, when I guard my dad's sheep, I've had to fight lions and bears. I've killed lions and bears. And then he says this, he says, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. Saul says, okay, go. And he tries to give him some armor and David doesn't, right? David goes and he picks up four stones out of a creek to, to use in his sling. And then he goes out onto the field of battle and Goliath cannot believe who's out there. And he says to him, he says, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. And then David, on his solid ground, said, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. And I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the field, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. 
That is a solid footing. That is the kind of solid footing we get when we say our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And the psalmist then goes on and he says, look, this is how secure you are. You see, the Lord is going to keep you. That word keep is really, really, really important because they use it six times. The last six verses, the word keep is used six times. But it doesn't actually translate very good. You guys are getting a Hebrew lesson today. Today, we're going to talk about this word keep because keep we understand. I'm going to keep this safe. I'm going to keep this dollar. I'm going to keep this house. I'm going to keep anything that I don't want you to have. I'm going to keep it. I'm going to keep you safe. It doesn't quite work in all the context we want it to work here. You see, the word keep is used three times, but actually two different words are used. In the first three times, the word, the word shomir is used. And that means to keep, to protect, to guard. And, that's, and then it also means to build a hedge around. So before we invented castles and moats and drawbridges, before we invented the, uh, the stockade fence that are in old Western movies, before we invented that, the boma was around everywhere. And it's a thicket of, of branches and hopefully some prickly thorn bushes you could find that you lay out in a circle and you can bring your livestock in there at night and you're in there at night and then you have fires in there and you have guards that walk around and that's enough to keep a lot of wild animals at bay. You would think it's not, but it is. God in this word shomir is building a hedge around you. But his kind of hedge, a hedge that can't be, can't be defeated. And so he writes in here, it says, he will keep you, he who keeps you will not slumber. So we're going to say protect. He who protects you will not slumber. Well, what does that mean? It means that he won't even get drowsy, right? We've all had the eye nod thing, right? And, and, and pretty soon you go, Okay, I don't remember the last 30 or 45 seconds, right? That's slumber. God doesn't do that. And then it says that he who keeps Israel will neither slumber or sleep. So God doesn't even have a changing of the guards. Nobody has to back him up. He is protecting you. Then it says that he will protect, he is your protector. He is the shade on your right hand and the sun will not strike you by day nor the moon by night. We have enemies we see coming all the time. The enemies of the day. And some we can fight off and some we can't, but we don't have to worry because God is our protector. There are the enemies we don't see coming, the ones we get blindsided by, the ones you can't believe just happened to me. The enemies of the night. But God is protecting us from them as well. This is what a protector God does. He builds that fort around you, makes it, and, and, then, and then what he does is you grow in him, that hedge gets bigger and bigger, and then you can begin to invite people into that hedge. You can begin to, to help influence others and show them the protection of the Lord all around you because your hedge of protection gets even larger as you grow. The second set of three keeps is the word yishomir. 
And yes, the shomir and yishomir are kind of a version of the same word, right? But what's important about this other one is it doesn't mean protect. It means preserve. Protect and preserve are two different things. If you go to the Louvre in Paris, they protect all the artwork. They have locks on doors and security cameras and security guards and security lines, and I'm sure they have every little laser beam thing you've seen in the movie, right? They have environmental systems that, that make sure, and then fire systems that make sure the artwork is protected. They have a whole different group of people to preserve the artwork. The artwork is preserved by special cases that keep the, the temperature and the humidity just right. The artwork is preserved by nobody's hands touching them. In fact, they don't even use latex, right? I think they have to use cotton or something like this, right? The artwork is taken down once in a while so it can be preserved, it can be cleaned, and if there's any damage, they have experts that repair the damage. That is preserving. So let's look at this. It says the Lord will preserve you from all evil. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have evil hit you. It means he's going to preserve you through it. Sometimes you're going to have to be taken down and cleaned and repaired a little bit, but that's okay because the Lord is preserving you from evil. It says the Lord will preserve your life, and that, of course, doesn't mean that life's great all the time either, but it is the preservation of the Lord in your life. And then it says the Lord will preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. When you begin, when your hedge gets bigger, when the Lord is protecting you and you're growing, you can start going out of that protected hedge because the Lord is preserving your going out. The Lord is preserving you going out into your community, out into your families, out into the world to talk about him, to bring people into your hedge. And he preserves your going out and he preserves your coming in. And he preserves it from this time forth and forevermore. And this time is super important. Because we think of, yeah, yeah, okay, God's going to preserve me from this time forth and forevermore. I get to be protected by God for infinity, blah, blah, blah. No, it's, it, it's, it's more than that. You see, the folks that were walking to Jerusalem in here, they were anticipating the coming Messiah. But we know the coming Messiah. We know that Jesus Christ came and lived and died and rose again and ascended to heaven. We already know that. We now live in a time now that is anticipating his return. The time when Christ will come and set everything right. The time when Christ will come and will basically end time. So we will be preserved by God from this time forth. And at fourth is when Christ comes again to make everything right. But then what's forevermore? Forevermore is the promise we see in the Revelation. When there will be a new heaven and a new earth and there'll be no or new earth and there'll be no pain, no suffering, no crying, no war. The lion will lie with the lamb. When the new Jerusalem will come down and God himself will sit on his throne and he will be our God and we will be his people and we will live with him forevermore. That is what we're looking for. 
We're going to be preserved through this time forth and then forevermore. That is a whole lot of stuff in eight little verses. A whole lot of stuff. I don't know how many of you are keeping up with our summer through the Psalms. I hope everybody is. If you're not, I'm not going to judge you. I'm the last person to judge. If you're not, do me this favor. It's 120 through 134. The songs or psalms of ascents. You can Google either one. If you don't remember which ones they are, just Google psalms of ascents. It will tell you, hey, they're 120 through 134. It's 99 verses. Read them this week. Read them today. Read them tomorrow. Read them Tuesday. Read them Wednesday. Read them this week. Really listen to them. Really hear what the Lord is saying to those pilgrims in Israel. Really hear those people of Judah going to worship their Lord. Imagine yourself coming over a ridge and seeing the temple of the Lord on a hill in the city of David. And then ask yourself this question. From where does my help come? If you're truthful, like I have to be, my help more often comes from the hills. Right? What is on that hill that you really worship? What is on that hill? Is it your job? Is it your bank account? Is it your car, your house? Is it relationships? We all have something up on that hill we worship. Some people, it's the next drink, it's the next high, the next porn site, the next game I'm going to bet on. We all have something on the hill. We all have a Goliath in our life that needs to be slain. When you get through these psalms, that's just a little bit. That's just a little bit of the message that God has in here for you. But it's a good, good start. It's a start that reminds you that you have a solid footing. That even when you slip, it wasn't God that slipped, it was you. And that solid footing is ready for you to jump back on. It is a God who promises you that when you are trusting in him when you get inside that hedge if you're so when you're at that desperate spot and all you need is protection he will bring that hedge in he will and as you're ready he'll get that hedge bigger again and when you are ready he will preserve you as you go out as you find your Goliath and you say to him I am serving the Lord that my strength comes from the God of the armies of Israel. And today, Goliath, today I will defeat you. Today you will fall to my sword, who is the Lord. Today you will be defeated, and tomorrow I will fight you again if I have to, and I'll beat you then too. These 15 psalms are all about the God who picks you up again and protects you and keeps you moving forward, keeps you ascending through his word and through his world. As the band comes back up, we have our three questions. I hope we do. If not, I have them written down. Ha ha, there they are. 
The very first question we need to ask ourselves, maybe every day, I don't, but I should, is from where does my help come? Does your help come from the Lord, the living God, the maker of heaven and earth? The second question is, what is my Goliath? And actually, have I shared that Goliath with anyone? Sometimes the best way to defeat a Goliath is to not defeat him alone. That person will work with God and you to help defeat that Goliath. And the third thing is, in the past year, do this. I really, if you don't do anything else, if you don't do anything else, do this this week. Look at the past year and write down and tell somebody how you have seen God both protect and preserve you this year. We have a God who loves more than we can imagine. We have a God who walks with us and wants to bear our burdens, who can't wait to build that hedge around you and cannot wait to defeat the enemy you face. Reach out to him through these things, through reading those Psalms, 120 through 134. It doesn't matter the translation. Do it this week. Amen?